Welcome everyone to the Foot Guns Podcast, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, Fur Tree Capital, and um, whoever the big shiny short and nickel was. Uh, it is March 18th, 2020, and now over to your host, Wasabi Boat Research. Hello friends, what's going on? It's Friday, the birds are chirping, it's a beautiful day, the sun is out, and we are back with our deep analysis of everything going on in commodities, cryptocurrencies, geopolitics, fishing lures, and just anything that we've got going on. Um, how what, what trades are you in today? You said you were uh, going along some Bitcoin. Yeah, I had like the worst sleep last night. I um, After this last little, you know, run up to 42K, I got really long at 38K. Like I got like really long to the point where I'm probably like bad risk management. Bad risk management long. Yeah, but like percentage wise, I'm probably a lot longer. <laughs> no, I don't know. How many Bitcoins do you own? Uh, I I think right now I have pretty close to five. 52 over here. Yeah, all right, you beat me. Now, did you put on this trade like after the uh, Fed meeting, or what was the uh, what was the signal that got you into this? Uh, me or Boomer? Both of you. Ooh, I think I think for me it's like a long. Um, I mean, I called the I called the literal candle at like thirty three k and in January, and then ever since then I've just sort of been like waiting for some confirmation that we're not going to go back down and you know, make 29K or whatever. And um, I just think that every single person that I know that has money on the sidelines that like will eventually buy Bitcoin is like waiting for a bottom. And um, I think uh, just, there's just, you know, there's just like no one left. <laughs> there's no one left to sell, I guess, is is what I see. And the, the people that are selling are like, you know, they're selling it down like 500 bucks or whatever. Like, they, you know, they don't have much, uh, much Bitcoin left to, to put on the market. And then, uh, I, I don't know, a lot of the the crypto Twitter traders that have been pretty good through um, out this whole, you know, five, six year cycle. Like some of them started flipping bullish, uh, uh, you know, about a week ago, two weeks ago. So I don't know. I'm just seeing a lot of different things that are like, okay. Seems like it'd be pretty hard right now to sell below 35K. Yeah, mine was different. So I just used it at, viewed as a hedge to commodities. And um, I trust Bitcoin more to rally. Uh, the It's kind of weird. Like I use the 80 week moving average in the S&P cash index to get along Bitcoin. Makes no sense. At around, you know, averaging at 38. I'm closing out today at, I don't know, three o'clock, no matter what sort of happens. I don't, I'm not, I'm not in it to, uh, to go, uh, um, battle, you know, these futures expire soon. Um, so, uh, I'm not necessarily in it for forever. Um, but it, it, for me, it's, it's developed its own little usefulness, which is it's not gold. And it, uh, I thought it would outperform the, the S&P and, and the S&P held support. So it was just sort of like a, you know, uh, some of my petroleum bets 
didn't perform very well, but a super, super leveraged position in Bitcoin, even though it moved, you know, 7% or something like that. Um, I just kept adding to it because it was winning and that's what I do. Were you long oil into this, uh, this uh, sell off because everyone thought the war was going to yeah. end? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was, I, I'm not going to claim to have gotten it perfectly, but I did an analysis yesterday of, um, what my, all, all my commodity trades, all petroleum or energy, gasoline and, and diesel and crude and all that stuff. Um, I did an analysis yesterday. And so I took f f for Q1, um, so up until Wednesday, uh, I took four steps forward for every one step back, which is not bad because oil began the year at around 72, went to 130, went down from 130 to 93. And now we're trading back up above a hundred and, um, it's led to a broken market. I've, I've never seen sort of anything like this during my lifetime because they raised the margin requirements from, you know, $10,000 to on diesel, it was $10,000 going into this and they raised it to $35,000. And so all and of a sudden, Bitcoin. yeah. And it's like, it's like, all of a sudden there's no liquidity in the market. Like the liquidity providing bots are no longer there because they can't be there because they, the margin requirements. So they end up making it worse. They, they like take a problem. Diesel dropped a dollar in one day, which is the most diesel has ever dropped. And if you had yeah one contract of that and you were wrong and you just decided to hold it the whole day, you lost $42,000. So you could have wound up owning, owing people money. But the problem is once they raise these margins, they tend to leave them up there. Like natural gas has calmed down. Its margin was 3,500 bucks in May. And now it's, I don't know, 15,000 or something. But it was as high as 20,000 in September and October when it was going up and down 10% each day. And they tend to stay high. And so natural gas is still, you know, $11,000. So you're just dealing with it. You're, you're dealing with an entirely different group of market participants. Why did they um, change their margin requirements? Was this like a political move trying to get people to stop uh, yellow bucksing the oil price to 200? No, I just, they're, what are their risk systems are just like somebody, I mean, says this before many times on this podcast, but futures are zero sum game, it's meaning someone's losing, someone's winning. So someone was losing $42,000 a contract on that day. Someone was making $42,000 a contract, whoever was short. But the way that this feels to me is that everything got tossed in a giant washing machine. And I don't think there's anybody who it, it's it's almost exactly like Bitcoin spring of 2021. It's like it all happened very fast. It stopped at a very random place. The, the sell-off was sharp. And I don't think there's anybody really who traded it like well and perfectly. I made most of what I made by being wrong from 70 until say 100. And... I mean, you, you, I'm, I, there was a, there was a moment, two minutes, you could have made six figures, and I did, and but gave some of it back anyway. Um, it's just a broken market right now. So I think uh, 
one thing that's really interesting, you look at every Friday for the last five Fridays, Bitcoin sold off the weekend. So, I mean, I just feel like, you know, since there's a lot of volume CME now, there's a lot more uh, bigger people involved. And they're just like, all right, I'm done with Bitcoin. It's Friday. I want to take the weekend off. Let's just sell it all and buy it back on Monday. Vitalik being on the, uh, what was he on the cover of Time Magazine, pushed me out of my, uh, or he pushed me into Bitcoin because I'm in this uh, ETH BTC uh, Uniswap pool, uh, LP. And so if ETH goes up a little bit, then it uh, dumps me out of the pool and into 100% Bitcoin. So I think a lot of people are buying ETH up into the merge like a couple of days ago, this merge, uh, I don't know, the testnet merge happened and uh, people suddenly realized that it was going to, it was going to happen in uh, June or it's probably going to happen. And so ETH's been a little bit strong in the last week or so. So I got, I got some news about three days ago that Sifu, uh, you know, the, the ex COO, or maybe I think he still is COO of Wonderland maybe or something. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently he bought $10 million worth of Ethereum about uh, three days ago. And then I think three uh, AC, uh, three Air Capital, some hedge fund. Oh, yeah, that's that's where we're gonna. This is gonna be the transition into hedge fund names. So Three Air Capital apparently bought hundred million dollars worth of Ethereum about um, thirteen hours ago or something like that. Three Arrow Capital. Um, How do you like that? I like that. It's like uh, we're coming at you from <laughs> with three arrows. <laughs> yeah, are those medieval arrows or those I, the Comanche? I, yeah, you know, I mean, like I. We named Singapore. Yeah, I mean that makes that's a the, probably the most expensive place to operate from is Singapore. Just cost of living is so high, and regulatory authorities are are quite good. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, three hour capital, but fir tree, this fir tree. Okay, you got four billion dollars fine. What kind? I don't know what kind of hedge fund you really are. If you're allowed to like, here's the thing, hedge funds get divided into different strategies so that the investors know what the strategies are. So like I was, a, we were a multi-strat, so we did everything under the sun, but those things, are, those are pretty rare. Um, and so you usually have like long, short equity. So there's are stock pickers um, and you rarely have people who can, you know, the fir tree capital management LP and out of New York, you, you, you know, it's been around for a while. So they've obviously done quite, quite good. Um, they, uh, uh, were founded in 1994. Wait, let's, can we give people a little context who haven't seen the story? So there's fir tree capital, um, announced that they are doing a big, big short on tether. Um, it's unclear how they're expressing the position, but we are we are chatting about this in the Discord. Does this make sense? How is a four billion dollar fund going to bring down seventy billion or eighty billion dollar stable coin? What's the most efficient way to express this? Um, how would you even express it? Like how how would you even get that much leverage? Is it like my take is like it's a it's a race to see who can leverage up more? Like can this uh, can tether le- leverage up more, or can uh, this stable this uh, hedge fund leverage up more to uh, to express the position big enough to make any kind of dent in tether. That's a good question. I was I would object to your premise, which is that nobody really sits around a hedge fund is like we're going to 
quote unquote, take something out. That's not how people think. Um, and you do need to understand a little bit about fur tree to understand what they're, what they're doing here. And, um, the, uh, you know, the, their star manager was a, was a wasabi type guy, a value stock guy. Uh, and he left at 53, uh, at age 53 in 2015. And they had about 8 billion AUM and now they're down to about four. And so it's very unclear, like what, what happened, you know, to allow them, um, to do things like, um, I mean, they have multiple funds that have value funds, stocks, bonds, and, um, you know, but it's, it's very strange again to, to go out and bet on a stable coin. It's just a strange thing to, to do. It's an odd bet. It reminds me kind of, and, and then you leak your, that you're doing the bet. And what you're hoping is, is you're, it's what, what these guys do. It's like Bill Ackman. Remember Bill Ackman during COVID was like crying about his granddad or something. And, you know, it was mean simultaneously buying puts on the S and P cause he knew like crying about his, or when he did his trade of the year was the Singapore or the Hong Kong dollar or the Singapore dollar or something like that. I mean, he didn't do anything, but he, these guys are trying to move. They're trying to, to, they're not sitting there like, let's take it down but they definitely are trying to move the market by announcing that there that there's some quote unquote big money in the trade. But fur tree is not exactly a fund that makes you quake in your boots. Elliott Capital Management is. Those guys will go buy sovereign debt and hire like private mercenaries to enforce it. <laughs> I mean, those they're, they're vulture capital. They're they're the worst people. Elliott Capital Management are just they're the, there's nothing good about them. They just feed off of misery and et cetera. And we can all agree that if, if someone was actively trying to sabotage Tether, that would be an almost an attack on crypto itself in some ways. I mean, putting aside whether the legitimacy of Tether, right? I mean, that would be just like, it would cause an enormous shockwave. It would be like, maybe it's not a, you know, H bomb, but it's definitely nuclear in nature. And the idea that it's tied to, I don't, somebody linked this in the discord. I haven't done any research on this, but the idea that tethers holding collateral that is linked to Chinese real estate development is just lunacy. And so if you were a hedge fund and you wanted to bet against Chinese bonds, you would just short the bonds or find some derivative to short the bonds or what you wouldn't fool with tether. Wait, what's lunacy? Lunacy that they would be doing that, or yeah. lunacy that they think that it would that tether would be doing it, or yeah. lunacy that this would be material for them? How that? the hell? How that? Just, just, just try to do this. I mean, if, if you think this is a lunacy, just go try to buy some Chinese real estate bonds. Just see how far you get. Um, I mean, it's China's usually a closed system to outside investors to begin with. But I think that's the thing is like tethers, like in I don't know, right? Some weird caribbean island or something yeah but like, china doesn't care whether it's china doesn't care whether it's domiciled and carousel or whatever it, china just doesn't like any outside investment right and that's why china's net worth is grossly inflated because a lot of their financial assets are only sellable to their own populace 
which is viewed as a strength in Japan with Japanese bonds. It's a whole different topic. But so I don't even, it's, un, it's unclear to me what, what the, I mean, Tether is shady for a number of reasons. And a lot of people have been calling BS on Tether for quite some time. Um, but as, you know, an article pointed out, some exchange, some illiquid exchange, Tether went to like 300 or something. So you could get blown out on the other side of this trade. I, I just think this is, this is one of those things where maybe you put 1% of your fund's capital at risk shorting the thing and you think the worst that, that can happen is that you, you nothing happens, right? I just, I just don't understand. Like, I'm short Tether. Like, I'm, bar- I'm borrowing Tether against my Bitcoin to buy other things. Like, so if Tether goes under a dollar, then... I'll do really like, yeah, the biggest risk I have is that Tether goes up, right? Like I don't care if Tether, if Tether isn't backed by anything, like then I can just buy it on the cheap and return my loan. Yeah. And these, these, if these guys are that big or big a deal or whatever, then somebody's going to sniff out this trade is sort of happening and they're going to try to drive, drive them out of the trade. That's another, this is a danger of allowing a large trade to be known can have a, a market moving impact, but it can also cause other participants to come in and just take the other side of your trade. And so, um, I, I just, I, I just think it's all first. I just think it's all weird. It's just strange. My guess is they have about, if they have $4 billion, they have about 1% of their equity at risk, um, on this bet. And, um, I don't understand. I don't understand. Based on everything I know about Furtree, I don't understand where in their limited partnership agreement it, they're allowed to even make this bet. All right, so I want to go, just because I've been watching the Bitcoin chart the whole time we've been talking, and we're officially higher than um, what I'm now going to label on March 15th as the Duquan pump, or how, however you pronounce that name, Doquan. Um, and so this is the person that is managing the um, Luna treasury, and... Luna, we've been following since it was at $6, has now become this, I think it's, you know, in the top 10, I think it's like number six or seven right now. Um, And it has this giant um, treasury and they're trying to, you know, create stable value backing UST, which is another um, stable coin. (laughs) You know, we're talking about stable coins. Uh, And so what they did on uh, March 15th is they bought a shitload of Bitcoin. I don't know the exact numbers. I don't think they even release the exact numbers, um, but they they have said publicly that they're planning on buying um, billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin with their treasury. So this is um, an interesting thing that I don't think anyone predicted because um, you know now they are going to become a competitive buyer to like Michael, Michael Saylor, basically, and uh, MicroStrategy. And that's interesting. So, okay, so let me ask you this. UST... Or tether, which stable coin has more risk? I I think um, honestly, right now, if you just go look at utilization, um, which is, I, you know, I'm just basing utilization on the 24 hour volume. Tether's 24 hour volume is 44 um, billion dollars, and UST is 500 million. So in my mind, tether has I, a lot I, less risk. I just because I just moved Bitcoin futures. By the way, I just sold. That, that 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 fifty lot just came across. That's me, and it caused uh, the price to go down by about I don't know a hundred dollars. Coming right back up. There you go. Yeah. So um, in my mind, um, 
you know, people are like, oh, you want to bet against Tether? It's like, well, there's $44 billion selling Tether every day, like into something else. So, um, and also $44 billion buying Tether. So if it was going to go down uh, with 50% of the market cap being moved every single day versus um, uh, UST, which has a $15 billion, like it barely even has 10% of um, its market cap moving every day. So in my mind, UST is a huge risk of um, depegging versus Tether right now. Yeah, I guess the flip side of that, I, I think probably UST is more knowable because the way one of the main ways that they enforce. Did you just make a chemi- like a, like a high school chemistry analogy? Did you just just make an analogy to like a gas? Knowable? I, I don't. I don't. I don't get. Oh, it. no, knowable. Oh, knowable, not noble. Okay. Okay, it's yellow bucks, yellow bucks. I thought you were being like, this is a noble gas. And I was just going to be like... Uh, yeah, yeah, USD is a noble crypto. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to crawl through this this microphone and punch you in the face for making a high no, school... No, it's not. It doesn't project. react with other elements. Uh, no, I, also, we're really good friends. It was um, a joke about punching you in the face. Anyway. UST, you can know exactly how much of this Bitcoin or whatever is backing it. And they, one of the ways they enforce like buy pressure on it is by putting it in anchor and paying out 19.5% APY, right? So that's where this Bitcoin is going or where these reserves are going. And that's all, I think, on chain, right? Like you can see the uh, crypto risk people. I think we should get them on the podcast. These are the guys that do like risk assessments for Curve, which is the biggest um, stable coin decks out there that does, I don't know, hundreds of millions or billions a day in volume. So they kind of look at the risks of every stable coin and, and different assets and like whether or not they should be on there um, and if they should be getting curve rewards. But like they, you know, they took a look at this and they said, OK, like here, you know, we can see on chain the size of the reserve that's backing the stable coin. Um, so even though it's smaller, it is like the risk is a little bit more knowable, whereas with Tether, it's opaque, right? Like they're not going to tell you that they own this Chinese paper or whatever, you know, like, you know, they kind of give you promises that this is what it is, but it's, it's less clear. Right. So I think, I don't know if I was going to do this, I would probably be putting a bunch of money in UST and because you know that, okay, in, in the worst case, like in the worst case, it doesn't, if you think it's going to blow up, you can put a bunch of money in there and suck out this fund, this, however much money they're putting in Bitcoin and then heads, you just get this 20% APY. Tails, you see that it's being, there's, you know, it's running out of these reserves and you know exactly when to kind of like go short and flip the other way. So it seems like a better trade than just kind of trying to attack Tether, which is so much bigger and you don't really know what's under the hood. Yeah, I, I think too, you know, if we had if it had podcasts back then, if you press rewind to when Nixon went off the gold or, you know, we went off the gold standard, people would be discussing the same thing. There's nothing backing the United States dollar or debt or more, you know, I mean, there's tax revenue coming in and all that kind of stuff. But if people basically have been using this instrument tether and treating it like it's a dollar and and what is going to be the event where they're going to stop treating it like it's a dollar? Is anyone really using Tether thinking, gee, I wonder what's collateralizing this? I don't think so. And that's why, like, 
you know, people complain about U.S. debt. It doesn't matter because it's an asset to most people on their balance sheet. People hold treasuries because they're the safest yielding investment in the world, and they're going to stay that way. So we don't really owe anyone $30 trillion or whatever. We only owe them if, for some reason, the United States becomes an unreliable actor on the world stage, which only the voters can decide that. So I guess my thing with with Tether is, okay, you know, I've heard a lot about its shady past and all this other kind of stuff. It can have the shadiest past and the weirdest collateral you've ever seen. There can, But if everyone treats it like it's a dollar, which they have been doing for, what, the better part of two years, three years, tell me about the event that's going to cause them to stop treating it like it's a dollar. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, did some guy really going to care about the collateral of, of tether? I mean, and be like, there's going to be a mad rush for the exit and they can't meet collateral. It's not a collateralized debt obligation. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's not a security. And a secu- if it's a security, if it's a collateralized loan obligation or debt obligation or mortgage backed security or a bond that had clear definable interest payments it had to make that it had to be backed by this thing. Right then you would understand when it does default and you could buy a derivative around that default. You could buy a credit default swap, for example, um, which you've picked up a lot recently. Trading and credit default swaps have picked up a lot. But this is something that exists in computer code that is de- that is not centralized on one exchange and that has made no express, um, express uh, material representation to a regulator that it does in fact have X collateral. So right. why would I think the only scenario care? where like people where Tether could be under stress, like why do you buy Tether? Like if you have dollars, why would you convert t- to Tether? It's because you want to kind of be a part of the crypto ecosystem, right? Like you want to buy or sell Bitcoin with it. You want to trade other altcoins or whatever, or you want to take out loans uh, in dollar denominated value coin. So then like the only case where you wouldn't, want that is like you want to take your tethers out back into the fiat system but like generally you're in tethers because you want to be in the crypto universe right so if there was something that caused like all faith in all cryptos to to go away then like you may might want to there would be like a big off stampede of tether but like if you if, if just tether comes under strain like it's easier to stay within crypto and like flip to other stable coins. Like there's tons of other options, right? So like if tether, if the value, if the fair market value of the last trade of tether went to 30 cents and stayed there, there would be massive ramifications for the crypto market. Just like if the dollar were to suddenly collapse against the Euro, it's just, I think there would be a, a, a very large group of people running for the exit. Well, I mean, there's, there was a good podcast with, um, SBF, the founder of FTX, right? And so like they are one of the few big institutions that like will actually like create and redeem Tether from US dollars. And like he had a very sophisticated take on it. He was like, okay, like here's the probabilities. Like what if, you know, okay, if Tether like suddenly like we know that there's only like 80 cents on the dollar of collateral, right? Like how, how big of a problem is that, right? Is it 50 cents? Is it 30 cents? And like, if it's say it's 50 cents on the dollar, then suddenly, right, all these exchanges have a 50 cent size hole in their balance sheet for every tether. And that, you know, like, fortunately, like crypto exchanges have faced that problem a lot of times in the past, right? Like Mt. Gox, like there are all these ways that they've done it, right? Like they give haircuts to the users, they um, 
issue kind of like IOU tokens, right? Like the, the problem of crypto exchanges being under collateralized is not a new problem and like crypto has survived just because so many people want to like still be in this crypto ecosystem. So I don't know, like, but there, but, but, but what, but, but can we, can we say just something real quick? This whole word collateral doesn't even apply to cryptocurrency. It doesn't, it does, it's not a thing because you're not, you're not, these are not, these are not securitized products. That's why, that's why FTX doesn't operate the same way it does in the United States because it doesn't want to register these products. And, you know, they're still working on crypto framework. We've talked endlessly about it, but I, I don't even know what you're talking about when you're talking about collateral in terms of crypto because crypto is, is a relative value trade where you take, you know, good us dollar and you exchange it for a bit of computer code and people argue infinitely on the internet about what it is and what it isn't but one thing is definitely not is, is a collateralized security so i i guess yeah, but like my thing is run like, but like fdx and binance and stuff will allow you to borrow against it right correct but but that still doesn't create it's not a loan um it's not a collateral the, 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 it's not securitized right you there's no second, the, the, the big difference between, and this is critical to understanding sort of crypto versus TradFi, is there's no secondary market for your loan. And that's why, that's why regulators are so concerned about all this, is because um, if, if, you, if you borrow against your, your tether, right, no one, FTX is not packaging that loan, your loan, like they do with credit card loans, like they do with mortgage-backed securities, like they do with collateralized debt obligations and selling it off to another party. There, It's just between you and FTX. So there's only one sort of party. So there's no liquidity. There's no third person that FTX can go to to offload its risk with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That, make, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's why crypto is cool and scary. It's because it's cool because you don't have to deal with all this huge regulated industry that you have to deal with, 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 with collateralized securitized obligations. It's scary because in the event that, you know, and they can have all the, to me, when you're at the bleeding edge of something financial markets like this, it's just like the Castle Bravo test, you know, the nuclear test we did in, in the Pacific and there was 40% lithium-6, and they thought the 60% lithium-7 and a secondary explosion chamber was going to be inert, right? It wasn't going to activate. So it's going to have about a 5 megaton yield. Well, it wasn't inert. And these are the smartest guys in the world with PhDs in Los Alamos being like, well, this lithium, the 60% lithium we're putting in here, this L7 stuff, it's not going to uh be involved it's just gonna sit there well it turned out it exploded and there was a 15 megaton nuclear blast and that's that's i I don't think you can risk management away stuff like that i i don't i don't put a lot of faith in um risk management surrounding i mean again how are you going to risk management collateral stuff or i guess you can just say we have this on our balance sheet but if if your balance sheet is impacted that much the, the effect would be so cratering you just crater to you crater to you crater to you crater 
And I don't think this is going to happen. In other words, so I'm, I'm, I just think this is one big, you can't plan for it. You shouldn't trade like it's going to happen. Good luck to fur tree and whatever they are now, but you, Tether is not going to stop becoming a dollar and FTX is not going to stop becoming an exchange. And they're also not going to stop sending me these damn commercials. I've seen more Larry David telling me how I should get into FTX um, commercials than I've ever seen of anything. How big does Tether need to get to be eligible for a bailout if uh, for a tree works out? <laughs> you know, government-wide bailouts are so unpopular after TARP. I don't even... I, you know, if you... If you wanted to poll a bailout of the crypto industry or whatever, I think it would probably be one of the, the lowest polling things that you could you could think of right right now, with the exception of the fact that way more people own crypto than all these politicians are taking into account, right? So, uh, but I think that uh, yeah, it would be pretty. That is a funny question. I don't know. I don't think it would be very popular if uh, the whole crypto economy tanked and it had reverberations into the main main street and uh everyone's dogecoin went to zero yeah if, if everybody's dogecoin everybody's Doge, first of all i think everybody's dogecoin has gone to zero i mean in the sense that you know if you were in the doge trade um i don't think there i don't think maybe there are i don't know what is it 11 it cents like, or something it's at, uh, yeah it's at it's 11 so yeah but what you're saying is that all the people that got in in 2020 uh well there wasn't no because there was a pump to five cents first so like were any of those real people or were all that just like people looking to vulture off of the the doge pump well, i almost bought one of these uh dogecoin asic miners that are just fucking cute as hell they have like a little doge uh, sticker on the side of them i think they're probably unprofitable at this at this point or you make like 20 cents a day but you get this little brick with would, a cute doge on it I, I just I just think Doge is, is a is a symbol for the insanity that was the imagination of capitalism in during um an enforced um time spent at home during quote unquote lockdowns, which by the way, we don't we never had lockdowns in the United States. It's not like you know, you'd get arrested if you left your house. Um, but it did, it was a time period where people were allowed to expand their imagination. And as a result, like people were like SPACs <laughs> and, and so I, I, I don't know. Anyway, next topic. Um, we're supposed to talk about nickel, right? I guess we already kind of did that. Yeah. Um, well, n- n- yeah, no, I wasn't, but it's, it's a big deal. And, and I'll tell you why I think it's important that, listeners know about it i mean i was everybody thinks their thoughts are important right like that's why podcasts happen and that's why there's six hundred eighty thousand podcasts <laughs> um but last week in the london mercantile exchange one of the oldest commodities if not the oldest commodities exchange you can sort of count on uh in the world i mean basically the united kingdom uh the british empire at its height was a giant commodity hedge fund with a lot of racism and a lot of violence and kind of like Elliot capital now. Um, 
And they, so the LME has got this, you know, reputation for being the stalwart, the one that you really sort of de- depend on. And they still have uh, these little benches in a room where you can go in and, and trade in theory if you need to. Um, but most of it's electronic, like, 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 um, you know, so it is, uh, it's an 145 year old exchange which is older than the New York Stock Exchange, right? It's older than, I don't know if it's the world's oldest exchange, but it is an old exchange. And um, uh, last week, several several smaller LME members, so London Mercantile Exchange members, came close to failing. So you had members almost about to go under after the price of nickel surged 250% in just two days. The sharp rally was caused in large part in large part by Zhang Guangda, the tycoon behind some Chinese name, China's leading stainless steel group, who struggled to meet demands for extra cash on a huge bearish bet that backfired. So somebody in China got really short nickel right before Ukraine, and the market that had other thoughts. And so after the price surge, what they did was they suspended trading, not unusual, all got halted um, as it came down from 130 for just like a few milliseconds, which was really frustrating because I was trying to buy it. But it just happened for a little bit, not a big deal. And everything went back to sort of normal. Uh, But then they... They they suspended trading and they canceled several hours of trades. They canceled trades and you don't cancel trades. The other day I bought in micro crudes. I noticed that the micro crudes were four dollars off of the regular crudes. So I bought them at I bought crude oil at a four dollar discount for whatever else was paying on the big contracts. I didn't have to give the money back. That's their problem. It's, that's that's just a counterparty thing. That's why there's been a bunch of uh, crypto Twitter people coming out about the nickel thing being like, this is why DeFi is better. Yeah. And uh, look, let me just get to the end of this sort of the the fact pattern. And then I think there's a decent case for that. Um, And so, you know, you don't you don't cancel trades like like, you know, these things get limit down, they get locked, uh, uh, limit down, but they had a, a, FT was talking to, a uh, a trader at, uh, I've got a buddy who works at DRW. They're big commodities, uh, mostly trade sort of the ladders. And, um, you know, there were some investors who are sitting on big profits who had their trades canceled. On the day uh, nickel was suspended, it doubled to a record high above 100,000 a ton. And this guy, Don Wilson, who I know and I, I trust, and he's founder and chief executive of DRW, said it's one of the most inept moves an exchange just made that I can think of. And um, LME's comment was to make the decision to cancel the trades in the interest of the market as a whole. What? What? And so there, I just feel like after this, this sort of exchange, after this happened, there's a, a lack of faith. Like if, if the LME will cancel trades, like how, how, how secure do I feel about my crude oil trading right now? 
what's to say CME won't do this? I can make a lot of arguments why CME won't do this, but but it but it led to kind of feeling among commodities traders of like what the hell is going on and. Actually, the heads of the majority of these big commodity trading houses um, wrote a letter to the European Union saying there's just been this huge margin call with oil and uh, raising the margins and everything and basically asking for something similar to a liquidity bailout. I mean, people just don't understand the level of you have to have letters of credit. You have to push the crude from where it's taken out of the ground to refineries and push the refined product somewhere. It's just so complicated that the last thing you want to do is suspend trading. I mean, it's, you've got, it's just so, so to your question, how, how would DeFi have done a better job with nickel? Well, that guy would have lost all his money and they were, you know, you, yeah, you can't turn it around. Right. Like, I mean, that's part of what all these hacks are, are, are a big deal in DeFi, right. Is that, once the money's once the money's left your wallet and gone to somebody else's wallet, there's no way to pull it back, right? Um, so yeah, if if the trades had gone through, if the tokens had swapped, you know, if you had a nickel token that exchanged with a dollar token, I mean, the only difference would be, you know, the issue would then be, okay, well, um, you're still, you know, you, you still have to say somehow this contract is backed by the nickel or whatever, right? So there would still be some point where you could try and turn it around. I'm guessing. Right. Like the biggest problem is having this, having some kind of technical sensor that like determines if something is nickel and if it is delivered to the right place. Like that's kind of like the Oracle problem in crypto, right? Like you don't, it's easy to move around bits between two addresses. Crypto is very good at that, but it's not very good at like determining truth in the real world and getting that truth onto this immutable ledger. Yeah. So they could have just like, you know, okay, cool. Well, even though all the tokens are in everybody's addresses, we're just going to make a new nickel token and redistribute it back to how how it was before this happened. So, you know, it it kind of doesn't really solve the problem other than the immediate exchange. You know, you would you would still have like the public snap snapshot for the whole world to see of who owned what, right? And it wouldn't be up to like I don't know. I think it would just be easier for people to to argue against it if the rest of the world could see who owned what versus just this exchange knowing who owned what. Yeah, I think I think I think the the thing the biggest thing here is the LME is supposed to be the arbiter of that dispute. So these are physically settled. There's cash settled commodities and there's physically settled commodities. And this is involves you actually buying nickel for delivery at a future date at a specified location. The exchange oversees that they're the, they're the backstop for that process. If somebody doesn't come up with it, then they go a looking. Um, and so the argument against the DeFi thing would just be that I just know that these CFTC, you know, Commodities Futures Trading Commission, it really came into being and really had teeth after these guys called the, wait for it, wait for it, Bass Brothers. The Bass Brothers. Bass Brothers. The Bass Brothers. The Bass Brothers cornered the just decided to corner the silver market in the eighties and drove the price up to fifty. And they just went and bought like all they were like, hey, we can buy all the silver sort of out there. Went up to fifty and then, you know, a year later it went back down again. So there are position limits, which I think are a key function of the exchange. So that's different from margin, but position limits say that, you know, you can only own 
uh, on NYMEX, I don't know, 20,000 barrels of oil. Now there's the ice exchange where you can own 20,000 barrels too. And then there's, you could physically trade it. You don't have to go through an exchange. Remember to deal with in nickel and you don't have to go through an exchange in DeFi either. I mean, you can just trade nickel between yourselves. You don't have to go through the LME. But see that that's where, um, I think DeFi like would easily solve that problem, right? Because if you just if you do KYC on an Ethereum wallet and then you you just put you, you can literally program it into the token and say, you know, okay, we're going to release the the April futures contract for nickel and no wallet in the world that's KYC um can, you know, own more than this percent of it and no wallet in the world that's not KYC can own any of it. You know what I mean? And so the, and then there you go. Now you know like you have your whole market and you can participate on any exchange you want, like with that wallet. Well, my counter to that is DeFi. The coolest thing about DeFi is it's truly a capitalist exchange. If there's no intermediary ever, then that's kind of cool. There, there should maybe be something out there for that. It shouldn't take place in automobile loans, right? It maybe shouldn't take place in mortgage-backed securities. But um, maybe there is a spot for you know, just pure unfettered capitalism. Like, you know what you're signing up for, you know what the risks are, the risk of, I mean, read, read the fine print. The risk is your risk is, uh, uh, the, the most amount of money you can lose that. And that's a key differentiator between crypto and other things, unless you're dealing with weird crypto derivatives, but actual crypto, most you can lose is the, the value of whatever you have. Right. Um, in these derivatives, like credit, credit default swaps, the whole thing that brought down the entire global economy were these idiots in AIG's credit default swap group underwriting what they thought were riskless credit default swaps at a premium, and then they got called. So they wound up owing more than they had at risk. And I think that, that the cool thing about DeFi is none of there's none of that. And the only thing I don't like about FTX, although I think it's kind of cool with their products that they have that allow you to do esoteric you know spread bets and volatility bets and all this other kind of stuff the only thing i don't like about it is it's not ftx isn't DeFi. well i guess it's not supposed it's not supposed to be it's an exchange but um maybe there should be a place for you know if you want to go participate in a completely unregulated place i think that's like I think that's the um, the easy bet on why you should just go buy a bunch of DeFi tokens right now is that somebody's going to figure that out and like put an interface on it. Like I, I feel like that's what you're talking about is just like who who that is in the regulatory like regulated place. And actually, let's uh you know we've we've been going for quite a bit of time. Let's let's take it back to uh, foot guns and the cheat sheet. Which if you sign up for our um, you know premium paid subscription on Substack that you will get every single day. And um, I have these tokens, Sushi and Ave that have sort of been quietly losing value for the last, I don't know, seven or eight months. And they both had some pretty big um, announcements that are now pretty quiet. And I think in my mind, that's a pretty good time to start looking for um, buying into these things because what the two big announcements have in common is they're creating um, a way for regulated um, you know, entities to have private pools within inside of the DeFi space. So for instance, on Aave, um, a regulated, you know, entity within the United States. Um, and I guess Aave like figured out how to comply with everything doing this, um, can deposit money into like 
Bitcoin or Ethereum or USDC um, and then whatever, lend that to people. Uh, and then on SushiSwap, they can provide liquidity on like, you know, the swapping pairs. So I think that's actually pretty big and un, um, underappreciated by the market right now. Um, but yeah, so I have left those on the cheat sheet for quite some time. They actually had a really nice run up last year, but then, you know, they've just been selling off since last November. Um, and they both, you know, seem like they might have um, a little bit of a short term bid going on right now. Um, and then other than that, we also released our uh, first set of trading rules where we had a, a nice discussion about oil. Um, and I think actually, uh, I think I did a pretty good job of uh, calling that oil top. I don't know, self-congratulating con- self myself maybe. Yeah, you did. Uh, you know, one dollar away from the from from the top so far, right? That's the caveat is so far, and that's right, right. That's yeah, what we exactly. we don't know. Part of me is looking at it, going, "Yeah, that was it. Okay, that was the sort of Iraq, the first Gulf War sort of bounce, and that's all we're gonna see." But that thing happened so fast. I mean, it went from. I mean, it just it all happened very fast, and that's one of the reasons why the margin requirements sort of kicked in. Um, but I just back to the DeFi thing. To me, as soon as when you started talking about KYC, DeFi, transparency around wallets, you're basically talking about commodities futures exchange. I mean, right in 30 minutes will be published the commitment of trader reports, which don't break down exactly who owns what, but it break down what type of people own what as of last week. So it's always a week late, but it but it does give you a, a pretty good indication. And one indication that this thing was happening was like the largest number of history in history of crew contracts got liquidated. So that means the long and the short both met back up together and left the marketplace. And um, so I'm just saying, if you're going to have DeFi, have DeFi. In other words, it has, it shouldn't be regulated. And, which is an extremely different position from the one that I held last summer, which is let's just regulate this bitch and get on with it. Yeah, but then it makes it weird for, I mean, how much money can you get into that system, right? Or does it just become this like, you know, that makes it like, in my mind, this like niche thing that can only grow so large. Yeah, which is why you, which is why you become the most important participant. Yeah, that's an interesting take. Yeah, you, you're the, you're the most important participant. I think there's a good argument to make that this this is the largest like the market cap let's call it what did it top out at three trillion or something the very biggest day uh the total crypto market cap? yeah total crypto. i think it got a little bit more than three trillion okay so um the uh but if you look at the the, the total uh market cap and you say and and if you operate from a position of I mean, to me, it's we've been this this sort of adoption case is getting really long in the tooth. I mean, I first started hearing about adoption cases two years ago, and well, so the total the total DeFi market cap was only a hundred and ten billion. So that was the total value locked inside of DeFi protocols. Okay, in the max at the top, yeah. Now it's like seventy eight. Yeah, at the very top. Right. So to me, what it becomes the, the whole adoption story to me is is dead it's just dead like that the idea that that 
if it would have happened by now kind of thing, or it's, it's coming much later in a, in a, in a time frame that I'm not interested in sort of investing in. Um, but you know, the bottom line is, is that if you want to buy something in Bitcoin, um, and you really, really want, really want to buy it, someone will figure out a way for you to do it. You know, I don't know why you'd want to do it because the price might change two or 3%. Um, but if you're sort of looking to buy a hundred million dollar yacht and for some reason you want to do it in Bitcoin, they'll figure out a way to facilitate that for you. Um, but McDonald's doesn't take Bitcoin and I don't, I don't know if it ever. Oh, that's not true. They do take Bitcoin they in do... El Salvador, right? Where they're required. Yeah. They actually, um, yeah, they have a, they're accumulating it on their balance sheet now. Right. But, but, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. At uh at two two ninety nine a burger. Yeah, right. So, so I mean, excluding El Salvador, which is which is which which is not a place. It's the highest homicide per capita in any country in the world. If you're not willing to go to in El Salvador, my whole thing is that you don't have to have in order for the 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 key then is it's all one big relative value trade and you're basically picking the protocols which are going to find uh greater value within a maximum let's call it a maximum market cap and so you're the most important person as the picker of the protocols and that's that's what people should be betting on in my opinion instead of all this, this i mean how many more fucking pod sorry how many more podcasts can they have promoting, you know, Ethereum maximalism or Bitcoin maximalism or what? It's sort of stale. And all this, you know, we're going to be using Ethereum. We're living in the metaverse. Fuck all that. All you need, <laughs> all you need at the end of the day, if you're, if you're looking to make money in crypto is someone who can identify trades that will make you money and where to buy them and where to sell them. Then you take your own personal judgment and you say, does this make sense given my risk profile? And that's what we do at Foot Guns. I don't understand why we don't have like a million subscribers. I mean, we we had Lunit five dollars and 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 give you a guide every single day to like good levels to get in. Well, and I think get it's out. because everyone everyone got burned by all the other um, like you know all the really popular people yeah name, name I, names but uh look i i met so i actually met someone in real life um yesterday and she gave me her phone she was like let me you want to see my coinbase account i lost like two thousand five hundred dollars and i looked and um she literally bought um november 7th she invested in crypto for the very first time which i think like was like the literal top or something like 69k bitcoin and that's that's always gonna that's always gonna happen but that doesn't necessarily that you know, there's always going to be somebody. I, I hate to admit it, but I think it was. I want to say today or yesterday. I've had two firsts in my career, um, which is I was the low buyer on something. I mean, literally, there was one contract exchange and I was the low buyer on gasoline. I was also the high buyer of something. Like I was the only guy who bought it at this price. It hasn't gone back up yeah well i mean i the same people that told people to buy bitcoin at sixty nine thousand were also telling them to buy oil on the you know the day that i was telling you that i think that it's probably ever sold right like that was the bias that was the sell signal that i saw i don't think there was a sell signal. i gotta be honest with you i i think i think i think oil this time was 
Um, and it's not quite over yet, but oh sure, I'm sure I got lucky that I got that the, the like the no local no I I think it's I think it's but I think it's it was just the re-experiencing of we should have been on you know in the same room and talking about our various experiences because 130 is such a weird number it's the equivalent of Bitcoin 64k top I mean it's like why 130 why on a Sunday night why this why that it makes no sense. Um, you know, you think 150, it's been to 150, but 143 or something, you know, back in 2008 and a quick run up, um, that didn't last very long. And, uh, you know, there was, I, I was a seller at 130.16 and then backed off for a while and luckily sort of have been, I'm, I'm, I love diesel and I miss that diesel route. I'd love to have been shorted, but no one was shorted. <laughs> like, like no, that's the reason these things. If if anything ever moves twenty three, if a commodity moves twenty three percent in one day, which diesel did, which has never happened before, it's because no one got it, right? No one just was like, you know, <laughs> this is the spot, and then I'm gonna buy back in twenty three percent down. Maybe people entered the trade down, you know, from down 10 percent to twenty percent or whatever. But it's very frustrating to consumers because, and to me, I'm sitting here going, "Where do I buy back into this thing?" Because diesel's five dollars at the pump around here, and you can buy it for, and you could have bought it for, uh, you know, two days ago for um, the end of this month delivery in New York for two dollars less and when you do like got the like got the delivery you mean yeah you, you I mean, just yeah <laughs> you could have bought you could have bought you know um forty two thousand gallons of diesel for three dollars a pop for one contract in new york and then dro- drove it to i don't know this area I'm in in North Carolina. I mean, depending Carolina. on where you lived in New York, you might be able to just yeah. sell it to your neighbors. No, <laughs> yeah, there was there was and 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 people. That's that's how the prices of commodities are determined. In part, is that people factor in transportation costs, and there's this whole industry that's that's really large called the midstream industry, which is pipelines. We don't have public pipelines. It's like the Keystone XL pipeline. It's one of the biggest jokes in history on both sides of the trade because it's like. That oil already goes down to where it's supposed to go. It just goes down by rail car. And it's not big oil who wants the pipeline. It's like big rail who wants to keep it on rail. It was like this weird time when big oil was on the same side of Native Americans. And they were actually fun. And it was a whole separate podcast, whole weird thing. But um, I, I do, oil reminded me a lot of Bitcoin in the sense that it was just like, what's, what's magical about 130? Um, and then you go, okay, well, it's going to bounce off 100 and it does. And, and then it goes below 100 and, and then it's just like, come on. And then you just get tired of it and you walk away from it. And the second that you do, it's up $10 in one day. And that's trade. That's trading. That's trading. I mean, that is trading. Like anyone who claims, anyone who claims that they run around and they, you know, faded 130 and they bought. 93 and they reversed or whatever it's just lying to you you know you're going to you're but but on average this this quarter and all petroleum i took four steps forward and one step back which i think is pretty damn good 
I mean, that's as good as you can get with trading. I mean, you're good if you do, I don't know, 1.1 steps forward and one step back. So it's a hell of a quarter. Okay, well, if you want to take uh, four steps forward and one back, then uh, join us on our paid subscription so you can listen to our private podcast and get the cheat sheet. In the trading rules, I don't think you sold it hard enough. Like, these are the 24 golden commandments that 26. Hal and... 26? Oh, shit. Did we add more? Anyway, that have been developed from all your years of trading, and we just recorded part one of the podcast where we talked about some of the stories behind each one. And that's one of the things that you get for being a premium subscriber, in addition to the foot guns airdrop, the cheat sheet, and all the other good stuff that we uh, are cooking up. So and it, it enables us, by the way, becoming paid. If you hear me talking about some 52 Bitcoins, the, the paid part enables us to have better produced and more frequently produced content. You know, this is not like, we're not like, you know, we do this for a living and, um, you're literally, you're making it so that we can go hire people that are currently unemployed that want to be involved in, you know, a podcast or a newsletter and, you know, find somebody up and coming that we think is smart and give them that opportunity. Right. Like we, yeah, we don't need the money. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the important part is that, is that, is that we're, we're trying to, to get more content and that's what paid subscriptions go for. And if you stop and think about it, I mean, your coin face, Brian coin face is going to charge you just for even trading, uh, less than a yearly subscription. Basically, if you want to do anything, look at Ethereum gas fees, and um, we're really responsive too. I don't know anybody else who maintains a Discord the the rate at which we do. I mean, somebody will put I go on there, um, except when I'm hiding. Um, you know, I'll go on there and somebody will ask a question, obscure question about um, WCS differentials and crude oil, and I'll be like, "Well, this is that," or you know, whatever. We're really responsive to questions. I think in a way that other people aren't. And it's fun. It's really fun. I, I love interacting with people on there. It's really, really fun. What are your predictions for crude oil right now, Hal? What do you think that the price of WTI crude oil is going to do just based on a chart alone? Just chart, a chart. give me a chart diagnostic. You know, the one thing that I've been um, paying a lot of attention to is uh, just watching the Bitcoin and crude like pair back and forth because I just, I don't know. I feel like I noticed that and it didn't happen today. Today's the first day that they both sort of went up together a little bit. Um, but for the most part, it seems like they've been sort of counter trading each other. Um, but I mean, I like it. I like the chart of crude right now. Like I would buy it, but I wouldn't be too excited. Like I would um, like I would take a move up to like 110 again, which I guess in if you're leveraged in commodities, it's a pretty big move. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it is. A, that would be a big a big move. The challenge that you get into with these charts, anytime that there's a giant move up and move down really quickly is that it's hard to be a buyer because you just look back at what just happened and you go, well, I don't want to have that happen to me. That's what happened. With, that's the total Bitcoin 2021. People were just like, okay, it sold off a bunch. And then we had to wait for, for enough for the, what is it? The bottom axis. I'm not a math guy. So the, the Y axis, is it the Y axis? The Y the X. Yeah. The, the X axis. The one that moves uh, horizontally. We had to, to, to let the time, enough time had to take place so that people felt like that big jump up was far enough in the past emotionally and mentally where they felt comfortable getting back in. 
So, you know, you don't, that's why commodities buy high, sell higher is because you don't, you don't, you absolutely do not. And this is true of Bitcoin, I think too, and crypto in general, is that what have we seen with things like Luna? They've done nothing but get more expensive. What if things that are, you know, in a downtrend, they've got nothing but get cheaper, right? And so, um, you know, you think, oh, wow, crude's finally at 93. And I'm like, oh, it's 93, I could go to 80. Like, I wouldn't buy crude at 25. If crude oil is at 25, it's going to go to zero. Because every time it's been... Yeah, or negative 80. Right, right. Yeah, see, that that's the paradox is that... And that was funny about yesterday is most of the move happened in the European hours and then the US opened, but I still bought it because I'm like, you know, buy high and sell higher. So... No, I don't understand why the whole, like, I mean, we need to change the rhetoric. Like, it's no longer Bitcoin's going to zero. It's Bitcoin's going negative, right? Like, ever since crude went negative, there's no longer, uh, there's no longer a lower bound at zero. Yeah. If they put, if they put owning Bitcoin as a ding on your social credit score, we're fucked. That's it. 52 yeah. Bitcoins, that's like negative, I don't know, on your social credit. Is that, is it yeah. China, <laughs> China's social credit system or whatever? When they get, when they roll out the, central bank digital currencies and then they you know they're which hey that was news that kind of like went by that no one talked about which was uh didn't biden say something about that or or an administration official yeah and that's when we that's when we got that fake up pump so yeah that was the i mean that's how that's how you know there's no nothing going on in the market right now and there's like no participants right because we had the biden news on the on the eighth and we had that that pump from uh 38k to 42k in a fucking 12 hour candle and then we had uh the duquan pump which was luna buying from almost the same amount not quite as good of, of a pump and now we're about to try and retest the biden pump so i think if we go above the biden pump then it means that there's like actual demand in the market and if we don't then everybody got out when you got out um like an hour ago or whatever yeah i think i think i just got out because i was just unwinding some other trades i didn't i'm not i'm not bearish bitcoin i'm never shorting bitcoin again i mean i shorted at the lowest i was like the lowest short in the summer or whatever so never doing that again but i i think again so you've seen at least in the course of this podcast an actual trader actually use it for an actual purpose that 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 does not have anything to do with the fed printing money or um you know, buying things at McDonald's, adoption case, use case, whatever. It just kind of, I thought correctly that, you know, if I'm going to be in these really long levered oil positions, that Bitcoin will hold its value and maybe appreciate. And so as I was getting kind of, you know, um, not torn apart, but just hurt in oil, my Bitcoins went up. And so I kept, so I would add to the oils and I'd add to the Bitcoins and it worked. So, um, I just use Bitcoin for a tire. I don't know if anybody else is doing that, but I viewed it as a just a thing that you trade. I don't know. <laughs> like, anyway, it's just kind of a sloppy way to end a podcast. But um, thanks for Here we go everybody. Bitcoin is a thing that you yes, trade. Yeah. <laughs> but in some ways, that is in some ways that is the most honest appraisal of and truthful thing that you will get on any podcast it's it's a thing you trade like you can listen you i mean at the moment it you know like being as truthful about what bitcoin is like the, yeah that's as close to the truth as what yeah bitcoin you can have 80 moment. hours of is it a money is it a store of value is it replacing gold 
But bottom line's a thing you trade. The freedom technology that you trade. I mean, I feel freer with more money in my account, that's for sure. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a free technology that you trade. Yeah, I mean, you know. I paid, by the way, for this 52 Bitcoins, um, I paid... uh, $38,000? No. No, wait, you got 52. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember when you told me you got... uh, Sorry, yeah, three times that. I mean, sorry, five times that. <laughs> My commission, total commission for the round trip 52 Bitcoin trade was about, I don't know, $300. Oh, I thought you meant what was the size of the original position. Oh, yeah. I started out with like five and then got crazy with it. But but the, but the, but the my point is, is that if you do it on the U.S. dollar denominated uh, Bitcoin mini micros or the full size, which are five lots, which are huge. Um, but if you do the, the, my point is, is that didn't Coinface charge you a lot of money to, to, yeah, they charge quite a bit. It's yeah. Like high percentages. So if you bought 52 Bitcoins, I don't think you would pay $300 for the privilege to do that. I think you'd well, pay and there's not enough liquidity in, um, DeFi. I mean, you would, you, the slippage you would get inside of DeFi would be like probably like one and a half percent. If you try to do that, like, I mean, unless you did it maybe five at a time over a few days. Yeah. At which point, you know, Bitcoin, it could have gone down 20% as you try to average in. I don't know. It was kind of impulsive, but it was, it had a purpose to it. But um, well, this has been probably the, I haven't looked at the time. This is probably been the longest podcast we've ever recorded. Boomer, can you buy a couple more Bitcoins to pump my uh, LP back into range? I just need it to go up like point, point 0.2, 0.02. Yeah, you know, no. Um, I uh, I don't think it'll. I don't. I was. Dick. You also have to short short Ethereum. That would work as well. Yeah, short Ethereum. I'm gonna go rebalance here. Yeah. And get those sweet fees. If you do it on Uniswap, you're paying me 0.3 percent of your trade. The use case for um, Ethereum is really quite high. If you want to lose money, just buy it. <laughs> All right, and that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Thank you for joining us on the Foot Guns Saturday podcast. It's been Boomer. It's been Hal. It's been amazing to have you here. Sign up, join, become a paid subscriber. We'll be back next Saturday. We'll do this all over again. Cheers.